That'll work. <laughs> That'll absolutely work, won't it? Yeah. Uh, stand with me. Let's read a passage of Scripture together. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the truth that are in your word, and I thank you that it still stands. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that you would speak to us today and that we would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, okay, I've got nothing on this screen here, and I'm supposed to. So if we can't get that fixed, give me my iPad, because I got a lot to say, and I want to be sure that I say it. Yeah. Yeah, come on, Arwen. Come on, girl. <laughs> it's my daughter, and wow, she's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said this. This is, a, this is a quote of his, and I... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that for a second. Well, I'll give them a chance, and if they don't, then I'll just have to find this thing here. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, many people want to see a miracle. They just don't want to be in a position to need one. I mean, we, we, we want to see a miracle. We want to see things that wow us. We want to well, you know, be able to say, wow, you know, hey, God healed this hole in this retina of my eye. How many of you want to get a hole in the retina of your eye so that you'd be able to be the next person on this testimony? No, no. My dad uh, used to tell a story when he was, uh, I, I don't know how old he was. He, he was young. I don't know if he was a kid or if he was a teenager or what he was, but this traveling speaker came to their church and he, uh, and he told the people at the church, he said, folks, tonight at the service, 
I'm going to show you something you have never seen before. And you will never see again. So be sure and bring all of your, all of your friends, all of, all of your neighbors. Get them to come because you're going to see something you've never seen before. And we'll never see again. And so that night, he got to church and the place was, you know, they had a crowd there that night. Because they were going to see something they had never seen before. And we're never going to see again. And so they got there and, and, and the man preached his sermon. Then he said, I told you that I would show you something you've never seen before and you'll never see again. And he took out a peanut and he cracked it and he showed them the inside of the peanut and he ate it. <laughs> now, some of the people probably were a little perturbed by what they had seen. All the Irish laughed who were there. <clears throat> and so my dad was among those. I still don't have anything up there. But uh, I'll, just, I'll just do this off the top of my head if I can. Uh, all the Irish people there, we make our own miracles. <clears throat> Movies are the perfect miracle for, for us. Because you get to go in and you get to see things that cannot possibly happen in air-conditioned comfort with no threats whatsoever. And you can even eat popcorn while you watch your miracle. Uh, and when you think about it, it, it <clears throat> hallelujah. Uh, when, you, yeah. when, you, when you think about it, now you know the sick, yeah, it's a miracle. Uh, when, when you think about it, uh, I mean, the first time people saw a photograph, that was a miracle. And then they saw those things move. Wow. And then you could hear people talk while they were moving. And now, you know, they can do anything. I mean, that's, that's, that's our kind of miracle. Health. Oh, yeah, God is a miracle worker. He's a healer. He can. Yeah. But we do have modern science. So praise God. And I, and I do say praise God, especially when I go to the dentist. Uh, provision. God is my provider. But if, you know, if it doesn't happen to come through, we do have a food bank down the, you know. Uh, protection. God is our protection. Of course, you know, we also spend more money than the next 10 nations combined on our military. So we, we do have a fallback in case God doesn't come through for us. Yeah. Uh, and all these things are more fragile than we can possibly know. They're, they're absolutely fragile. There's been so many times. Uh, one of the things that, that, uh, that God did for Israel was the most powerful army in the world was surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And God sent out an angel and killed 185,000 of them in one night and delivered the city. You know, I mean, these things are a lot more fragile than we possibly know. The quality of God's miracles, that's another thing that I want to talk about just a little bit, because they generally involve things that, that happen naturally instead of the fantastical miracles. They, they generally do. How many of you know what Jesus' first miracle was? Okay, I ask you to raise your hand, but yeah, you can go ahead and just shout it out. Yeah, uh, turning water into wine, at least that was, uh, that's what John says over in John chapter 2. It's what God does every year. Yeah. Uh, bodies being healed. It happens every day. Yeah. Maybe it uh, doesn't happen quite as spectacularly 
as some of the ways that God, uh, that Jesus did it, that it was done in the Old Testament. Uh, dry, when, when the children of Israel crossed over on the Red Sea and dry land rose up out of water, that happens. And it actually, if you read the account in Exodus, it happened because of a strong wind that came and separated. The, strong winds happen. Storms stop. Jesus says, peace be still. They don't necessarily always stop right at the moment, but they stop. And when Jesus says it, they stop at the moment. When God says it. Lions don't kill when they're not hungry. And so you can throw a prophet into a lion's den with hungry lions, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> they're already satisfied. Yeah. Fire falling down from heaven. It's happening somewhere right now in the world. You know, the, the key is whenever you can get them to fall, you can get it to fall right here, right at this moment. Yeah. Now, now, God uh, can, can certainly uh, contravene the laws of nature if he, if he wants to. Uh, the sun standing still at Joshua's command and things like that. God has control over the universe. I, I don't know how this all works. I just know that it, that it does work. And one other thing before I go into talk about miracles themselves. Miracles do not produce faith where there is none. Uh, the relationship between faith and miracles is, is somewhat complex. Can faith produce miracles? Some would tell you that they can. Certainly positive thinking can get you better than negative thinking and things like that. I guess the question really is, can we tell God what to do? I don't know. Can your four-year-old tell you what to do? Hopefully not. If you're a good parent, and God is a good parent, but sometimes they can influence what you do because, and you know, and sometimes you finally go, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Let you see what let you see what happens. So, yeah, that can happen. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood, you know, she. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And obviously her faith was very instrumental in that. Uh, there are two people to whom Jesus said, you have great faith. Uh, it's interesting because neither one of them were Jews. They were both Gentiles. Well, one of them was a, a Syrophoenician woman whose, whose daughter was demon-possessed. And Jesus seemingly wasn't going to do anything, but she just pestered him and pestered him and pestered him. And would go away and he said, oh, you've got great faith, woman. So, yeah, we're going to let this. So he does, he does tell us to be um, persistent. Chris Mincy. How many, most of you know who Chris Mincy is, but those of you who maybe are new, you don't know who Chris is. Chris is 40-something now. When I first came, he was like 11-something uh, at, at the time. And, uh, and Chris about this tall, and he has... Just kind of every physical issue you can possibly imagine. I mean, he's 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 had kidneys uh, replaced. Uh, I don't think that's the only organs that he's had replaced, and he's seemingly needed others. Whenever we would before all this happened with the the COVID and everything, and when we would have people come down front to be prayed for, he came every week. You kind of go, well, where's your faith, man? He comes every week. And when I, when I was, when I first came and I said he was like 11 something, you know, they said he'll never 
He'll never make it to his 20s. He's 40-something. He comes every week to be prayed for. So that's, that's, that's persistence. However, plenty of people in Jeremiah's day thought that Jerusalem could not fall to the Babylonians. It did. The man at the pool of Bethesda, when Jesus came and said, uh, do you want to get well? You know, his faith was so strong, he couldn't even say yes. All he could do is make excuses for why he hadn't gotten well or hadn't gotten healed yet. Naaman, he was, he was a guy in the Old Testament who had leprosy, and he went to Elisha, and Elisha said, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be, you'll be made whole. And he said, fooey on that. And he was going back home, and, and uh, his, his servants, the people who were with him, said, well, now, you know, if he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. So why don't you just go and, and dip in the Jordan River? And he went, okay, I'll go dip in the Jordan River. And let me tell you, he didn't go... Yes, I'll dip in the Jordan River and be healed. No, anyway, I'm going down to the Jordan River, and I'll dip, and we'll just find out what this is all about. You know, he comes up the seventh time, and he's healed. Not because of his faith. Not because of his faith. Uh, so God can really do whatever he wants to do at any time. Paul was a man of great faith, and yet he, he had the thorn in the flesh, and he left Trophimus sick in, in, in Miletus. But here's the thing, no matter, no matter what you see, if you have no faith, you won't believe. You, you will never see a miracle. You, you can see the most amazing thing, and it won't, won't be a miracle. Our pastor at the Lord's Chapel, Brother Moore, used to tell this story. Uh, uh, he grew up in North Little Rock, I believe is where he grew up, and he... Uh, you know, obviously had friends that he ran around with. And most of them went to his church. But one of them was a kid who didn't go to church anywhere, didn't believe anything. But he kept saying, if I could see a miracle, I would believe. Well, there was a, there was a lady in the church who was, I, I don't know, I, he thought she was old at the time, but I think she was like 60-something. So, you know, she's a, she's a chick, young chick. And, uh, but all of their lives, she had been in a wheelchair. And she got healed. She got healed. You know, and Brother Moore was talking to his friend and going, well, isn't it, sister, I don't remember what her name was. you remember her name, Wade? I mean, you only heard this story 40 times. But, yeah, I don't remember what, what her name was. But, you know, he, he said to his friend, well, you know, uh, Sister Smith there, how about that? You, you said you see a miracle. And his friend said, oh, she was just faking it. If you don't have faith, you, you, can't, you can't see anything. Jesus said to Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And some people might go, yeah, if my faith is strong enough, I'll see his glory. No. If you have to have faith, you have to believe before you can see his glory. No matter what happens. There were, there were those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. There were those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead who believed and went, hallelujah, this is the Messiah is here. And there were others who saw exactly the same thing who went, we got to go tell them. We got to go tell the Sanhedrin about this because this isn't, this, this guy is pulling a fast one over on, on everybody. Back in chapter 9, just a couple of chapters before this one, Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. And... But he did it on the Sabbath. 
And the Pharisees said, well, you know, we, don't, we, don't, we can't explain how this happened, and we can't explain, you know, why you were blind from birth, and now you can see, but we know this guy's not from God. Can't see the glory of God without faith. We serve a God yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, yesterday, God, uh, God created and delivered a nation. Uh, most of you, most of you know that. I mean, he called Abraham, but he couldn't couldn't just reveal himself through a person uh, or just a few people. He needed a whole nation to reveal himself because he's he's that kind of God. And, and there are certainly some random miracles um, in, in the Old Testament, but the overarching story is the story of miracles concerning the the nation of of, of Israel uh, and the plagues that came on Egypt. Were, were miraculous, and it really cannot be dismissed because of the historical results. There was a nation of slaves who were delivered out of bondage and brought into another land without a regime change, without an invasion, without an uprising. They were just delivered. Well, now, how did that happen? Well, there were 10 plagues. That's how it happened. Uh, And then he provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness. We don't know exactly how many there were in that that nation. Some estimates range up to a couple of million, but there was a bunch. Okay? There was a whole lot of people. And feeding a whole lot of people every day for 40 years in a barren place, with no food chain, with no supply, you know, how does that happen? Well, manna rains down out of heaven. Well, where do they find water? Well, there was this rock, you see. And the rock apparently followed them, and that rock was, that rock was Christ. Uh, I mentioned earlier that... Uh, uh, Assyria had surrounded, that was the great army, that had surrounded Jerusalem. And they, they had conquered all of the Middle East. They conquered everything. Uh, they went down into Egypt. They conquered there except for Jerusalem. Because God delivered the city. Ultimately, this nation was taken to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. And they stayed there for 70 years. And then they returned This was prophesied by Jeremiah. He said, it's going to be 70 years, and then they'll come back. Has there ever been a nation that ceased to exist for 70 years and then suddenly existed again? How about 1,877 years to cease to exist, and then it's back again? This is is the God of yesterday and does these things. It's also the God of today. most of you know that our family moved to Zimbabwe in the mid-80s. And uh, in April, I guess it was, it might have been May. No, it was April. In April of, of 1985, we left. And this is a picture of our, our five-year-old son, Isaac, in the airport at Atlanta. And if he doesn't look too keen, it's because he wasn't feeling too keen. And we got to Amsterdam, and we were, go- we were going to spend the night there and spend a whole day. And, and in fact, we did. Uh, and he never left the, never left the, the hotel because he was just sick. So we got to the airport that night, and we, uh, 
And as we were trying to get on, on the plane, as we were trying to get through to get on the plane, the people at check-in said, he looks sick. Well, he's not feeling too well. They called a doctor. A doctor came said, uh-uh, he, he can't fly. I can't clear him to fly. Well, now this was a problem for us because we had not only, uh, let's say there were, four of us, there were four of us at the time. Each of us had two suitcases, so that's eight, plus the 23 pieces of excess baggage that we were taking because that ended up being the cheapest way to get our life from here to there. Margaret had never been overseas, and three-year-old Arwen was there uh, with her. And so the plan was ultimately going to be, okay, Margaret and Arwen are going to go to Zimbabwe with all of this luggage, and Isaac and I are going to stay in Amsterdam, and I've got to put him in the hospital, and I've got to find a place to stay. And good grief, I don't know where we're going to stay, and I don't know how they're going to handle all this stuff. And how are we going to afford a hospital? We didn't realize at the time that, you know, some nations, that's not an issue. But, but it, you know, it certainly was weighing on our minds. And, uh, you know, we, I guess for about a half an hour, we were just kind of like, okay, wh- I, I, what do we do? Let's pray one more time. So we prayed one more time. And Isaac goes, we said, uh, could that doctor look at him again? Yeah. So the doctor came and looked at him again and went, well, okay, you know, he can fly. But when you get there, be sure and have him checked out because we're really concerned, you know, that his eardrums may burst and stuff. Uh, we never had him checked out because we never thought about it again once we got there because God, God touched him. God healed him. While we were in Zimbabwe, the way that he, the way that he provided for us, when we, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go there in a second. Uh, we were told that we would need uh, about $1,600 a, a month, about $1,600 a month to, uh, uh, to make expenses in Zimbabwe. And we raised uh, pledges for $1,300 a month. Uh, we didn't have uh, any money that, was, that really came in to help us move, but we sold our house, so we had money, and we moved. And, you know, and as I look back on it, I can look back on it and kind of go, wow, that was something. But, you know, at the time, it was just like butter. Because when you know that you know that you know God has said, do this, and you're doing it, you stand in a place of grace. You just stand in a place of grace. I don't remember losing a second sleep. Uh, I found out when I got to Zimbabwe that most missionaries consider if you get 50% of your pledges, you're doing pretty well, which says something about the way that uh, people pledge in the church, but that's another matter altogether. And, but anyway, we got there, we had, uh, and we were told, as we were, as we were getting ready to fly over, uh, Bruce Coble calls and says, you know, I told you $1,600 a month, you probably need $1,900 a month. Well, hallelujah. But we know that we know that we know. And we, when we got there, we, uh, we had, um, at the time, South Africa was going through all the apartheid stuff and, and embargoes and everything. And the South African ran, the first month we got there, the South African ran went from two to one to the American dollar to seven to one to the American dollar. And it was like, whoa, we can go down to South Africa 
And we can buy a late model Mercedes Benz for about $3,000. And we can bring it back in. And we can, after a year, because as immigrants, after a year, we can sell it and, and live off that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then God said, I didn't send you here to trade cars. Oh, now some of you know this story, but others of you don't. And, and what God does, it's worth tell, talking about again. Uh, and then we were also introduced to some people who would, uh, who would give us a much better exchange rate if we wanted than the banks would on our, on our American dollars. And everybody did it. I mean, it was, it was black market, but it was legit, and everybody did it, and everybody <laughs> knew everybody did it. I mean, they just did. <coughs> And I was thinking, well, okay, maybe that's that. And God said, mm, you know, yeah, everybody does it. But if you get caught, it's still illegal. And, you know, they could send you out and it could bring shame on the what you're there for. It's not what I, uh-uh, just trust me. And I don't know that we ever had any more pledges. Well, I think after after a year, our home church upped its pledge three hundred uh, a month. Uh, so that would have put us at sixteen hundred. Although we did have some people who pledged who didn't give anything. We never had a month. I, I think I'm right on this. Wade would know. I keep looking at him, but he was handling our finances back here. We never had a month that less than two thousand came in for three years, and. You know, some God doesn't God doesn't just specialize in hit and run miracles. Some miracles go over a over a period of time. They they take place over a, over a period of time, like forty years in the wilderness, or 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 three years in Zimbabwe. Uh, I got so much I want to share this morning. Uh, let me just run through one other thing. If you were here at Margaret's. Uh, a funeral at that service, you would have heard Isaac share a story about when he was a, a little kid during this time. This is about a year after we got there. We were down in South Africa and we were in a, a shopping, I wouldn't, I don't know what to call it, a shopping bazaar. And it covered like, like th- three blocks. It was several acres and it was like these pods of, uh, of, of stores and they, you know, three or four levels of stores. And Arwen and Margaret wanted a shoe shop, and eh, you know, so so they went shoe shopping, and and Isaac and I, Isaac and I went man shopping, you know, and uh, and we got we were up on the second level in one of the pods, and um, and there was this kiosk there, and I uh, I uh, was. Um, saw some posters or something over here, and I, I just kind of stepped like about this far away. And for some reason, Isaac, who was right here, looked up, didn't see me, got freaked out, and went off running. You know, and I turn around and, you know, where is he? Yeah, and, I, and I asked the people at the kid, did you see a little blonde-headed boys about this tall? And, no, I didn't see him. I'm looking out over the, you talk about a feeling. <laughs> Cause, and, and after about 10 minutes of, of trying to, of, of searching around, I went to, I found where the office for this place was. 
You know, I mean, it's not like there's an intercom or any cameras or anything. I mean, it was like they just went, well, you know, we'll send somebody with you to help find him. I went, Great. You know, there are, there are 50,000 people here and there are 40 or 50 different entrances and exits. And I'm going, you know, what are we going to do? Well, if you heard Isaac's side of the story, what happened was he ran downstairs and he sat down on a bench and he started crying. And this man and his, and his son come along and go, are you okay? what's, what's wrong? Well, I've lost my parents. You know, well, where are they? Well, I don't know. Um, my mom and my sister are shoe shopping. I know that. Well, there were probably 40 shoe stores in this place. And every single one of them the, uh, were floor to ceiling uh, type affairs in terms of the shelving. And so you could walk in one and you could be 10 feet from the person you're looking for. You never find them. And the guy says, well, let's, let's see if we can find your mom. And, you know, they go walking and before they get to the first shoe store, they see Margaret and Arwen coming. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Margaret goes, Isaac? Yeah. Uh, what are you, how did you get here? Well, this man was no man. It's gone. Yeah. I mean, God, and, and I've got a couple of others like that, but I'm not going to go there because I want to, uh, my mom, uh, just very quickly, my mom, uh, this is a real cheesy picture, but she loved it. And so I'll, I'll put it up there for her. But my mom had gangrene in her foot. Uh, she she, she got, had gangrene and they said, that foot has to come off. She said, no, it's not coming off. Does God heal gangrene? Well, in the case of my mom, yes. She was back in the hospital a couple of years later, and the doctor had said that foot had to come off, heard she was there, and he, he made a beeline. You know, said, you still have that foot? Yeah, you want to see it? You know, <laughs> stuck it up. And, you know, and he's going, amazing, just amazing. Uh, okay, I, I, I don't have enough time. Let me, let me just... Uh, Kenneth Ware. You've heard me talk about Kenneth Ware. A, a number of you have. He was a missionary to the French Gypsies. He was, he's, wasn't nearly that young when I met him. But uh, he, he came and spoke at our, at our church a couple of times. Uh, well, actually he only came once, but he spoke maybe four nights. And it was life-changing for me. And uh, I'm going to skip over some of the other stuff I was going to say because I'm out of time. But two things. Uh, one, uh, people had asked him to share some of the miracles that had happened in his life because incredible miracles had happened. And he said, I will share about the time that I was the miracle. And uh, I think I've shared this here once before, but it's been quite a while ago. So uh, many of you have probably haven't heard it. Uh, he, was, he was holding a meeting um, in one of the towns in France. He's actually from Memphis, but he was holding a meeting in one of the towns in France, and 
the, the minister there wanted him to stay longer. I mean, it had been a good meeting. And he said, Brother Ware, I'd like for you to stay longer. He says, no, I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to. Uh, and, he always, and he would say, uh, preachers always want to have meetings. But, uh, you know, and then, so they got there that night. And at the end, the preacher says, all of you who want Brother Ware to stay, please stand. They all stand. You know, that's manipulation. God doesn't do that. Uh, Brother Ware went, no, no, I, I, I can't. He really felt like God had told him to go to, this, uh, to visit this young pastor at an isolated place in the Alps. And so he, he went to visit the young pastor. And the young pastor goes, well, why are you here? He says, I don't know. Uh, God told me to come here. And after two or three days, three or four days, something, the young pastor said, I'm going to go and uh, visit a, a cancer ward. Would you like to come with me? And Brother Ware goes, well, yes, I'll come with you. And <clears throat> this ward, you know, it was one of those situations, a large room, there are beds along the walls. And uh, so they began to... Uh, to visit with the people in the ward. And Brother, Brother, Brother Ware would tell a joke, he would share the gospel, and then he would ask if it would be okay to pray with the person. And he had three jokes, so every fourth bed, he'd start all over again <laughs> and do that. And he got to the last bed. And the woman said, I know you. And he said, well, I, I don't think you do. I, it's... Uh, I." Yes, I do. You, you've been here before. Well, I have, but it was many years ago. It was probably 20 years ago. And uh, she said, yes, you came to my village and you shared the gospel with me. And he said, well, I, I could possibly have. And then she pulled out a, a gospel of John. And uh, he went, oh, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the gospel of John I would give to people in the village when they, when they shared. And then she sang a chorus. And I don't know what the chorus was. It was probably, oh, how I love Jesus or something like that. And, and he went, well, yes, because everyone who would respond to the, to the message, he'd give them a gospel of John, and he taught them this chorus. And for 20 years, however long it had been, she had... She had shared, but nobody else in the village would respond. She was the only Christian she knew. The Gospel of John was the only part of the Bible she had. This was the only worship chorus that she had ever learned. <clears throat> and he said, well, let me pray for you. God will heal you. And she said, no, 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 no. no I, I, want to go, I want to go see Jesus. Yeah. No. But I prayed, God, before I go see Jesus, let me see that young man one more time who came to share the gospel. Brother Ware said one night in one of the services, he said, uh, I'm going to share with you the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle is this. God gave us Jesus. I, I didn't ask them to do saved just because it's a lot of fun, though it is a lot of fun. I asked them to do it because it's the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all is that, that God could reach down and, and, and take someone like me, could take, could take someone steeped in sin and make them fit to stand in the presence of God. You know, and some people say, well, what kind of God would, would, would make his son die? Two words, a holy God 
And I want him to be holy. I want him to be perfect. I want him to be someone I can trust and a loving God. That's, that's what it would be. Because, you know, if you do somebody wrong, uh, you don't want to be around them, right? You know, I mean, if you've, if you've, re- I know none about, I know nobody here has ever wronged anybody, but, uh, you know, if you've wronged somebody or you owe them some money or something like that, you know, and you go and you look down the grocery aisle and they, oh, they're down that route. Oh, yeah, I can't go in this one. You know, go to the next one. Yeah. And if you feel that way about something that, imagine trying to stand in the presence of ultimate goodness. Holy God, we couldn't. But God, when I got away, I'll send my son. He'll be a perfect sacrifice. And then people will be able to come to me. Kevin was saying last week, God saved you, not not so you could go to heaven, but so you could live with him. And it's the greatest miracle of all. And if you just have faith, you'll see the glory of God.